Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Forza Italian Football Podcast. Last week there wasn't too much to talk about, this week there's plenty to talk about. Last week we spoke for a long time, this week we probably won't, it's just the way it works. I'm Connor Clancy, your host, I'm joined as ever by Kev Pugzelski. Kev, it's lovely to see you. Thank you very much, lovely to see you too, as is, always. Is that okay? I know you, you had a bit of a strop last week with my introduction, are you happy with this one? Yeah, it's much more pleasant. And uh, welcoming. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I'm I'm happy you feel welcomed. I'm doing my job properly. Vito Doria is also here with us. Vito, how are you keeping? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, yeah, could be better, but uh, yeah, I'm just uh, soldiering along. Well, I I usually like to say after you guys speak, perfect or great, but I can't really say perfect or great to that one. Is everything okay, Vito? Oh uh, look, um, uh, look, just things could be better. Well, obviously, if we're talking about just the football, um, uh, you know, it hasn't been a, the most pleasant time for Sampdoria. But uh, I think uh, the main reason is that uh, we've lost another football legend in the space of two weeks. And uh, I think for Serie A fans and especially Italian fans, it's uh, another big loss. Yeah, well, look, you've mentioned it. You are, the listeners can't see, and in fact, we can't actually see because of a a technical issue at the moment, but you are wearing a shirt in commemoration to Paolo Rossi, who is the latest football legend to to fall victim to 2020, I'm almost tempted to say. Obviously, Paolo Rossi, an iconic former Italian forward, died at at the age of 64, which, of course, is, is no age at all to die at. So, Vito, you've got the... The floor, you can be the man responsible for FIF's tribute to Paolo Rossi. Yeah, thank you, Connor. Um, 
as someone who was born after Rossi had just retired, it might seem strange that someone like me would uh, pay tribute to him. But uh, Paolo Rossi is someone that uh, a lot of uh, Italian football fans, especially those of the national team, will know of or remember fondly. Um, until Italy won the 2006 World Cup, which was the only victory that I've witnessed live, um, that 82 victory is what most Italy fans remember fondly. Italy won the first two World Cups in the 1930s under coach Vittorio Pozzo, and he remains the only coach to have that um, piece of history. But uh, Italy went 44 years without winning a World Cup. So Paolo Rossi, um, he started at the 78 World Cup, scored three goals then, and was uh, praised for his all-round performances. But then came the 1980 Totonero match-fixing scandal, which was much more bigger and controversial than the 2006 Calciopoli one. Sadly, Rossi was suspended for three years, then cut down to two, and he only made a return to the Juventus squad just before the 82 World Cup. He had a shambolic group stage and looked out of sorts, and then in the last three games of the tournament, he went on to score six goals, and uh, um, one of those performances was a hat-trick against Brazil, who were the favourites to win that tournament. Um, so... He had two great World Cups. Uh, in 82, Italy went on to win the tournament by beating some great teams along the way, including that Brazil side. And it's and him as a player left a big effect uh, on um, Italian football, on fans in Italy. But his impact has reached uh, the diaspora. So all the Italian communities around the world, especially in English-speaking countries, still hold that team in high regard, have posters to this day. You'll still see them in uh, cafes, even here in Australia, where they're owned by Italians. That 82 team still has a big effect. And Rossi was that hero. He was that man. He was the one responsible for that triumph. Um, even uh, for the younger generations, they know who Paolo Rossi is. Uh, my first recollection of him was actually when I was eight years old. I was starting to watch a bit more football, became curious about the game. And my father had a video of that game in full. So my dad started bragging about Rossi, how good he was. So we sat down and watched the game. Uh, it obviously left me a, left a great impression on me. And uh, uh, after that, I just wanted to watch more games. So I've seen... Most of the games that Rossi played at the two World Cups he featured in. And uh, um, you can say that it's like the two different forwards when you see him. Like he was an all-round package, very modern forward in 78. But in 82, despite being out for so long, he just emerged as this phenomenal opportunist. This great poacher, having that knack of being in the right place in the right time. So uh, it's a very sad loss because... Although Italy has won four World Cups, um, this 82 triumph was just so historically significant, just so emotionally charged, and what he did was something extraordinary. So um, he's an incredible idol to Italians and to those of Italian heritage. And uh, as for someone like me, you know, coming from Australia and having an Italian father, um, football is one of those many ways... 
uh, people of Italian heritage can connect with their roots and uh, the heroics of uh, Rossi have played a big part of it. So, riposi in pace Paolo Rossi and you'll never be forgotten. Absolutely. Um, beautifully put as well, Vito. So I, I don't feel the need or really the authority to add anything on top of that. Like you said, rest in peace to Paolo Rossi and we'll continue on with this week's Serie A action. It finished up at the Stadio San Siro, one of Rossi's former homes, Kev. And it was a result that nobody expected. Little old Parma went up to Milan and everybody probably expected them to take a drubbing. They went 2-0 up away to the league leaders and Teo Hernandez drove Milan back to take a point and it finished 2-2. Yeah, I think they'll be quite quite relieved uh around around the Milan camp this evening because it was probably the first time this season when I've when I've watched them that they, they were a little bit flat. Um obviously there was uh an early setback with Matea Gabia um being forced off after after four minutes, three or four minutes. And uh Kalulu came on which was kind of like for like with regards to inexperience, although he was making his uh Serie A deb- debut. And it was poor defending really that, that Palmer capitalised on took the lead through probably no fault um, of Donnarumma's, but Kessie possibly should have spotted that Hernani was uh, sort of strolling, unmarked into the box to to put the ball home. And then uh, early in the second half, Kurtic did almost exactly the same thing, arrived late to power ahead of past Donnarumma. And um, while you then, because of they took the lead so early, you couldn't really judge Palmer too much on their sort of attacking endeavours. Um, they were probably within their rights to try and see out that two-goal lead and it looked like they were going to for a little while. Hernandez equalised shortly after Palmer took a two-goal lead. But Milan rarely threatened until probably those last five to ten minutes. And uh, yeah, we discussed this before we came on. There was just this air inevitability that it was going to fall to anybody in or around the, the Milan box, but probably a little bit a little bit more credit goes to Hernandez because of the way he sort of drilled it from the edge of the box through a crowd of players. Kind of a what you'd call a stereotypical strike from the from the fullback. And um that they'll be happy that they've at least kept themselves ahead of what are into ahead of them now in the top of the table. Yeah, it was a it was a big point. And I suppose on the face of it, dropped points at home to Parma looks like something that you would be disappointed with overall. But Vito, you did the report for Forza Italian football for this one. And Milan hit the woodwork four times, I think it was. So is this something that they can just chalk down to a little bit of misfortune and then keep continuing on Wednesday when they get back in action? The misfortune was uh, evident to see, especially for Hakan Chalkanoglu. Um, on three of those occasions, he was the one that hit the woodwork. And the first occasion was from uh, Brahim Diaz. Uh, at the same time, though, you can admire Milan's persistence. And I think uh, for that alone, they deserve the point. Uh, but at the same time, as uh, Kevin, you were discussing earlier, you really got to question the defending on the goals that they conceded. Um, against uh, Parma, with all due respect to them, they have been struggling and... Uh, they haven't looked anywhere near the best or close to reaching their full potential. But uh, for Milan to sustain top spot, I think they've got to 
be far more aware and alert in those situations against far stronger opposition because um, a team with better midfielders who can make those late runs into the box or who can supply better crosses, they might be able to expose those frailties more. Kev, do you think the focus... I think we know what it will be on, but do you think that the focus should be on the fact that Milan did mount this really impressive comeback and get a, a heroic point late on? Or should it be on the fact that they they let Parma go 2-0 up against them? I think because of how how little we've seen Milan defend this poorly during, during the season, um, the focus probably should be th- their determination to get back into the game. Um, maybe that's taken a sort of a, a pro-Milan a, a approach to the slant, but... Um, it wasn't as if they were overrun all over the pitch and you saw sort of huge gaping holes which would concern you for the rest of the season. It, it did just look like a bad day at the office for, for Milan and we know that they're they're lacking a, a little something in attack. You know, you, you hate to lump it all on the absence of Ibrahimovic, but Rebic almost looked like he he had that extra weight of having to be the central striker, which is he doesn't look comfortable. It's not that he's he's incapable because there's plenty of determination and and sort of energy in his performance, but um, it almost looks as though he struggles because he knows what Ibrahimovic brings within that role that he maybe can't. You know, he you know it's not within his sort of skill set to provide. I remember about well, it's probably whoa. How how long ago is this now? I'm trying to think. I think it's almost two years ago, but that cannot be right. But I think it is. When Christoph Piontek signed for Milan, and I remember you saying that you were a bit confused by it because they had Patrick Cutrone already there. And would the signing not end up making both players' careers stagnate? Well, now, Milan really could have done with a Cutrone or a Piontek in there, couldn't they? Well, it was interesting, oddly, that when they brought... Um, Rafael Leao on you thought that he was going to go through the middle and, and provide some of that sort of physicality I suppose that you maybe don't get with Rebic and actually he he's he got stuck on the right wing and really provided very little yeah I thought that was strange actually because Rebic was still playing through the centre and as one of our listeners Sabrina Balmonte pointed out on Twitter that Rebic is always better out wide and Leao tends to be better in the middle so it seemed like Pioli um, dare I say it got one wrong well, it was the obvious thing that was going wrong during the first half. And because he made the change at half-time, you thought, OK, he's, he spotted that and he's correct, corrected it. And whether or not Liao does operate better on the wing, it was clearly there was something something missing through the middle. And, you know, you just had to try and change something rather than it was an obvious should have picked Liao through the middle, in, you know, to start the game. It was just that the approach they'd taken at the start of the game wasn't working, so try, try something else. Whereas they effectively went like for like because he, they brought him on and uh, Hauger and both played wide and that wasn't really where the issues were for, for Milan. It was kind of getting the ball up there, getting it sticking and getting supporting bodies from midfield. But it did look a bit of a mistake. It did, um, I hate to say it, but Vito, onto Parma, right? Because this was, without question, their best performance of the season. But... They only ended up taking a point in the end. They've drawn with Milan now. They've drawn with Inter and they've beaten Verona this season. In all competitions, they're technically unbeaten in four games. I think. Is that correct? That can It is correct, yeah. They, they won in the Coppa Italia. They beat Genoa. They drew with Benevento and they drew with Milan. 
are are things on the up for them slowly? <laughs> uh, look after the shambolic display that was Padma <laughs> Benevento last week. Uh, I don't particularly want to be too positive about them because Parma tend to be rather consistent and also hit and miss. I think there are signs that they can improve and it goes to show that there are moments where those players like Gervinho, Hernani and a few others, they can make contributions. And it was also good that they were able to get a 2-0 lead without having Jure Kutska on the pitch. Mm. So that that's something to take as a positive. But uh, that's one of the things when you play a counter-attacking style of football or a more cautious style, uh, you can have these kind of leads, but you still got to find a way to sneak in another goal if needed whilst also trying to keep things tight at the back. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, probably after 2-0, the only chance that really caught my eye was Gaston Brugman's free kick, which Donnarumma easily saved other than that um uh, probably Car- parma should have uh, uh, added more of an counter-attacking threat because they do have some weapons there well i'll stick with you Vito. where do you think this leaves liverani because obviously he's been trying to change things around a little bit this season and it's not been going well and the the moment that he goes with a 4-3-3 counter-attacking system that basically the players know because of the versa they, they produce their best performance of the season. Now, I think with the obvious benefit of hindsight, just makes you believe that the Versa should not have been sacked in the first place. Uh, there were times in the past, even when Parma was still in Serie B, it looked like the Versa was going to get the flick, but reportedly the players wanted him to stay, and he stayed, got them into Serie A, and I think he's made them a solid side. So... Um, be curious to see if Liverani does stick with these this approach to appease his players, but uh, as far as trying to establish his own identity with the team, I think Liverani's ideas have uh, pretty much failed. There you go, Kev. Before we move on, this is the first opportunity I'm going to give you on this week's podcast to um, talk about kits. Parma wore a Boca Junior style, one of their away kits. They've got two away kits and a third choice kit, which... I've got an issue with how they've released and branded that, but do you have any complaints about Parma wearing blue? <laughs> Always, if uh, there's no kit clash. Um, I mean, th- their kit is very black. Oh, not black enough to clash with Milan. I suppose, uh, they're not They're not even all white, are they? So the shorts are... Like, they usually no, the, short, in the dark shorts, shorts are black, so that doesn't and they've clash got black Milan. shoulders this season as well. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't say instantly. Uh, I felt sort of aggrieved by it when I was watching okay. the game. No, that that's all I want. That's all I want. Perfect. Good. Um, my my problem was the fact that they released two different kits and called them both away one and away two. No, that's a second and a third kit. And then you've got the fluo one, which is a fourth kit. But we we won't go down that rabbit hole. Now elsewhere, earlier a little bit earlier on Sunday evening, Juventus almost dropped points away to Genoa and the see I thought this was an impressive statistic initially but then I realized why it exists and it's not but since Juve started winning the Scudetto every year they've basically dropped more points at the Marassi than anywhere else they've lost six times but obviously that's because there are two teams playing there they've lost three of those to Samp and three of those to Genoa so it's not quite as impressive as it first 
seems. But Vito, this this is a game that was hurt you quite a little bit. I mean, it Genoa looked good for a while, and then I suppose at the end you got your your little bit of happiness with your father celebrating two Cristiano Ronaldo penalties and you celebrating a Genoa defeat. <laughs> oh, look, that's probably the most positive way of uh, looking at it, to be honest, Connor. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's scary to think that it was Storaro that got the equaliser for Genoa. I mean, yeah, just something about that p- play polarises me. I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> he's just a dirty thug and sometimes he's a guy that could have been an excellent box-to-box player. But uh, I don't think he's got a lot of marbles up there. But uh, yeah, look, another important win for Juventus. Customary Ronaldo brace, but from the penalty spot. Uh, if anyone's going to jump down my throat on social media as to why I'm not including him in my team of the week, it's just two penalties. Big deal. But No, uh, you're, you're absolutely right, by the way. Yeah. He didn't do anything else. Yep, so, you um, get a stand-in ovation yeah. at uh, Camp Nou <laughs> if you scored two penalties in the Champions League. So. He scored He scored sure. four goals this week and he's done nothing. <laughs> four penalties in one week. It's ridiculous. But it should be said, the, the two tonight were were penalties so i mean before you've fans start coming at us just relax a little bit okay um but kev the the big story for me from this game was that paulo dybala scored his first goal of the Serie A season a well-taken one as well and he he almost had a second but he was slightly offside just before he turned it in yeah i thought that because i only caught the highlights um excellently taken goal sort of kind of classic dybala sort of wriggling through and and actually, sort of, you expected to kind of put it in the other corner. He was sort of shaping that way, and then he drilled it um, mm. to the to the near post. Um, but yeah, I think it's really hard to judge. Clearly, nothing nothing on the score sheet, if you like, in the first forty five minutes made me wonder if it was another sort of kind of passive Juventus performance. But if they can take positives from this as they're sort of continuing to climb the table, is that Dybala over the last few weeks has looked like he's He's certainly try, getting closer to recovering some form. And I think a goal is probably as crucial, if anything else, to sort of really get him to sort of kick on. So moving into this this next week, where we've got, you know, a lot of games coming in a quick uh, time period, hopefully we'll see him return into what we all know he can do. You'd hope so, right? But I thought the post-match comments were curious, both from him and from Pirlo, because Dybala seemed so deflated when he was speaking he kept talking about our oh, strikers need goals and i've had a difficult time and hopefully this will give me confidence and it just seemed a strange way of putting it right you'd say this goal will give me confidence now and i'll go on and run and pirlo said well now that he's off the mark i want to see a lot more from him and i just thought those two comments don't quite go well together pirlo's demanding more dibala's mm, unsure of himself but Dybala did also say that he has a great relationship with Pirlo and, and all the rest of it. So I'm not suggesting there's any sort of rift there, but just interesting more than anything else. Elsewhere, I, I should have said at the top, we're going to try and move through these quite swiftly. And if you think about complaining, we're doing four podcasts in 10 days. So just just give us a rest, please. Inter won away at Sardinia, away at Sardinia, away in Sardinia at Cagliari. And Alessio Cranjovito was excellent for most of this, but Inter just got the job done. And given the week they've had, I suppose you can just only take your hat off to them. It seems now that with finishing at the bottom of the Champions League group, um, Antonio Conte and his uh, team have to put all their eggs essentially in the Serie A basket. And there aren't uh, 
a lot of uh, reasons have excuses now. Uh, they got the win against Coyote, which is uh, very important for them, and that's the kind of result they do need to get. And uh, as you mentioned, having a goalkeeper like Kranje for Coyote, he just uh, helps with the limitation damage. He's a fabulous shot stopper, and uh, he's someone that probably deserves to play at a bigger club. And uh, to show how good he is, uh, Roberto Mancini has called him up for the Italian national team on a few occasions. So... Uh, regardless of how good or bad uh, Kayari is, Kranio's been consistent. Back to winter, though. Um, yeah, just... Uh, I think it was great to see that Barella was involved in the goals. Um, back to where he came from, back to his former club, um, involved in goals. I think he is a fundamental midfielder for the Nerazzurri. And uh, if uh, Inter do succeed in putting their eggs in the league basket and uh, going on to really push for the title I think Barella is crucial to their chances because he offers both quantity and quality. Vito is is Nicola Barella Italy's best midfielder now? Uh, I would say yes for a couple reasons Um, I think he's a more all-rounded player than the others in the Italian national team and secondly, he's in far better physical shape than Marco Verratti. Uh, I don't doubt Verratti's talent and the technical qualities are there to see. But unfortunately, Verratti has had issues with injuries. So I don't think at club and international level, we're really seeing the very best of him. So that's why I think Barella deserves that praise. Kev, you're on the spot. Inter now have nothing else to play for this season because their coach can't coach two games a week, apparently. So if they don't win the Scudetto this year, their season is a complete failure, right? They've got six months now to only focus on that. Uh, Wow, yeah, you could probably say that. I think the only caveat is that I think if, if we were this far into the season... And you were looking at Milan, Inter, and Napoli above Juventus, then you'd think they've got to push on, you know, without the European commitments and everything else. But there's just it, there's just something about that Milan side that makes you wonder whether it is their year as opposed to being a year where anybody can come through from a pack that doesn't include Juventus and win the league this year. But. Um, yeah, you'd be you asking. You're really buying it. into the Milan stuff, then? Yeah, you're sold. I, it's just I, I've seen them a lot, and they just seem to have this aura about them that that they believe it themselves. You know, it wasn't that kind of that performance that we we had tonight that sort of made them sort of uh, still that point, if you like, or you know, recover from from being behind. But yeah, I, I don't know. I am start, starting to sort of buy into. To the feeling that Milan could could carry on and Zlatan won't be able to fit his head in San Siro come May. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> you're right. Between now and the end of January, they do play Atalanta, Juventus, Lazio and Sassuolo. They play Sassuolo and Lazio two of their next three games and Juve just after the new year. So I think at the end of January, we will have a very, very clear idea of what this Milan team are. But yeah, you're right. They have impressed... Yeah, they they need to suffer a setback, and you know I think mm. we need we need to see how they how they react to a, a, a serious setback, Milan. Um, 
and then it might be a different discussion that we're having. I agree. I agree. Anyway, next in the table are Napoli. Napoli, they have to come from behind, Kev, against Sampdoria to, to get the points, but they did. Second half comeback, again inspired by the colours that they were wearing because this week they wore the Maradona shirt again, but they wore white shorts, meaning that they were basically dressed like Spal. So guess who scored the winner? Big Andrea Batania after Chucky Lozano had equalised. Kev, are you going to try and argue against my theory this week? You feeling brave? No, no I, I, sadly I thought we were going on a, on an Argentina direction and, <laughs> and you were going to tell me that they will wait shorts at, at some stage. But oddly, this is where... Uh, I, I didn't see the first half, actually. I, mean, I yeah, the, the the British board broadcaster took Atalanta Fiorentina off the table for me, so it was a case of visit Bologna-Roma or Napoli-Sampdoria. I went Bologna-Roma mm-hmm. first half, perfect, moved over to Napoli. and <laughs> That worked out very nicely for <laughs> Absolutely. But this was Gattuso making a change at half-time to bring on Patania and Lozano and sort of changing up, you know, it seemed on on TV, how they were, how they were playing in the first... Uh, in the first half, and it worked perfectly. Lozano hitting the equaliser, and then Patania just doing what he does, kind of bulldozes his way uh, through people, make himself um, difficult to play against, and reacting really, really quickly because the the cross was fired it, in at him at a fair old pace to 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 nod it home, and maybe it is the the mystique around the spell colours that he was wearing, if you want me to say well, that. Well, Vito Doria has dug deep and he's found a, a Brazil against Argentina game from 1990 when Argentina wore white shorts and Maradona made a great assist for Claudio Canigia. And I think in recent years, because FIFA have introduced this nonsense rule where kits have to all be the same tone or something, most of the South American sides have just ignored it to their immense credit. But Argentina have been wearing very, very white shirts and white shorts on occasion as well. So... There you go. Are they Argentina or are they Spal? Uh, well, they played more like Argentina, I'd argue, than Spal last season because <laughs> they did get relegated. <laughs> All right, that was an unnecessary dig at the Ferrarese, and I won't stand for it. But anyway, yeah, a, a big result for Napoli, that one. The other game, I'll stick with you again, Kev, because you just said you watched the first half of this. And all of the goals, yes... All six goals in this game were scored in the opening 45 minutes. Roma went to Bologna and they ran riot. What on earth happened here? Yeah, if any, uh, if anybody hasn't seen this game and you want to find the definition of one side playing absolutely horrifically badly in defence and another really on form and up for the game, then this, this was it because Roma are up for it. There was some great like one-touch passing you know, and play through the through the Bologna midfield and then their defence. But the Bologna defence were, were were absent on so many occasions. Um, there was a there was a goal and another goal that was even disallowed in the first half for Roma, but uh, it was the third one that typified it, where Pellegrini pretty much just strolls forward. It was a it could have been a relatively close um, offside call, but they shouldn't have been playing offside that that high up anyway. And it could have been ten. And actually, they had a—I think they had a debutant goalkeeper. They certainly had a young goalkeeper. Um, I now forget his name, but he was only twenty-one for Bologna, and he made three or four wonderful saves. And actually, Jeco missed a couple of what are sitters for a, a player of his quality. Um, 
But yeah, it, it was strange. You couldn't take your eyes off it just because how bad Bologna were defending. And, and look, Roma looked to be cutting them open effortless, effortless, effortlessly. <laughs> there you go. You got there. Um, Federico Ravaglia was the, the young goalkeeper that had a goal. 21, born in Bologna as well. So quite nice to see him getting a game in Serie A. Um, yeah, it, a bit of a strange one, that for sure. But Vito, it's something we discussed a little bit recently about Bologna. I mean, they're they're just not very good, are they? They're kind of getting away with one by sitting there. Where are they? In mid-table somewhere. And they've kind of gone under the radar at being quite poor. Yeah, it's uh, either that they're a team that can really turn it on one minute, but then they're just absolute, absolutely atrocious the next. So um, I suppose with what Sinisa Mihalovic has gone through in the last year or two, I think you can give him a bit of leeway. But I think under normal circumstances, that defence in particular has got to be scrutinised. Um, there seems to be that balance, uh, lack of balance, like... It's either you've got defenders that are probably over the hill, like Lorenzo De Silvestri and Danilo. Danilo especially, I think, is finished as a top-level defender. And then you've got guys like uh, Takehiro Tomiyasu and Aaron Hickey, who, who have potential and they're young. But uh, I think with better mentors, they could do a bit better or they could have better protection. So, yeah, um, I think with Bologna... Their strengths lie in attacking and they got to be better utilised more. So I think when they're on a good day, Orsolini, Soriano, Musa Barrow, sometimes Nicolas Sansoni when he comes on, uh, they can be dangerous players. Rodrigo Palacio does a adequate job as a false nine, but you've got to consider that he's 38 years old and they're better off looking for Fita and... Uh, you know, possibly more talented options in the lone striker role. So, um, yeah, there's a lot that needs to be assessed and also needs to be uh, rejuggled if they are to perform far more consistently than what they have been. Yeah, Aaron Hickey is um, self-isolating at the moment, I should say, after testing positive for COVID-19. So hopefully he will make a recovery. I don't know if he's showing symptoms actually i just know he tested positive bologna confirmed that on sunday kev fiorentina went away to atalanta atalanta never win at home fiorentina are dreadful and they managed to lose three nil to to the crisis club yeah um when we talk about bologna being a mess well fiorentina are arguably as big a mess and have been in that state for for far longer which is probably why the likes of Bologna are sort of treading, uh, treading water in mid-table and not in 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 more uh, difficulties. But um, Atalanta got a goal just for half time, which probably allowed them to come into the second half um, with a bit more positivity. Excellent free kick by Manlovsky, curled home, and uh, even Toloi scored, albeit from close range. So. Tells you how haphazard Fiorentina's defenders defending is. I mean, to be fair, right? If there's anyone that you could, if there is any team's defenders you'd expect to score, it would be Atalanta's. Jim Shitty got the assist as well. <laughs> he flicked on the corner into line, but the defending from that was dreadful. I mean, Drangovsky was going crazy afterwards, and you could see why when you watch the replay. 
They had two players on each, one player on each post and three players across the six yard line um, spreading the width of the goal. And Toloi had a free header in between them all. Unbelievably bad. And Fiorentina just looked like they they don't have any ideas. I mean, it was quite strange from Prandelli to start with Castrovilli, Ribery, Kwame and Callihan on the bench. But even when they came on, they, they didn't offer a thing. It just looks like it's gotten to the point again where, like it was at the back end of Montella's latest reign there, I don't know what they're trying to do anymore. You watch them play, it doesn't look like they actually have any sort of plan, any kind of identity. And again, it kind of goes back to, to Montella and to Pioli, and you kind of think, those guys did a better job than we realised. Because it, it wasn't great at the end of Pioli's time, and it wasn't great under Montella, but was it this bad? Yeah, I think sometimes when I look at I look at those periods where they've brought in four or five players at those times that have allowed them to sort of hit a you know a decent run of form, play some nice football, get a good few good results. I'm thinking of when you had and I'm gonna probably mess up the periods here of the who was coaching when, but you had Aquilani Valero and Pizarro in mm. midfield. Um, you had the period where Tony and Rossi. Uh, when he was fit, were playing and and Quadrado was there as well. The problem is, is they they seem to come in and it's short term fixes. Um, you think about what they've done recently. You've probably only brought in one player of significant quality in Ribery, who's at the latter stage of his career and not can no longer drag a whole side to where they want to be. I'm talking European places. I'm not talking above fourth from bottom when with nine points. Can I jump in there, right? Because I, I disagree with that. They've Ribery is obviously the biggest name that they brought in. Jose Callejon's a good player. Kwame was a good player. Um, Amrabat was amazing with, with Verona last season. They've got talent. They had Chiesa. They've got Castrovilli. They've Bonaventura. I, I don't know what it is because they keep changing their coach. They've brought in new faces. What is the problem here? Is it just one of those weird situations where... It's like the culture at the club is so ingrained that it doesn't matter how many changes you make. It's always going to be there unless you do a complete overhaul at the same time. Like an ingrained inferiority complex. Yeah, almost it's, that. Yeah, the oh. first sort of sign of trouble and they sort of just allow it to sort of overwhelm them. It's very, very strange. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, Florence... And I know football doesn't necessarily work like this, but Florence is a city that deserves a bigger team. And there are, there are one... I, I always get this the wrong way around. There are one club city. That's correct. There are one club city. And they they should be a lot better than they are. The fans are great as well. They've got a really good fan base. And so, it just... It's a mess. So, you know, so with us... Uh, well, it's me, myself and you being on British shores, would... Uh... Would Excuse what, me, what, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, OK, British and Irish shores. OK. Uh, so close to home, close to the Premier League. Sorry to offend you, particularly this close yeah. to Christmas. Um, but you know, look at Leeds United. I'm, think, I'm thinking of that. It, you know, the, the club had all of the, all of the, everything you would expect it to have, you know, good fan base, solid, uh, you know, large ground, everything else. Uh, history, if you like, behind them. But it took the... Um, the employment of, of someone with a very clear 
direction and actually to support them in doing that and are Fiorentina doing that when they when they get coaches in because it it took it took yeah I'll say that's that's what instantly springs to mind when I'm thinking about I see what you're saying here mm. you're saying that they need to get big Murray to your salary yeah. in wow Am I putting yeah. words in your mouth? Well, no, that's actually, you know, I, I wasn't thinking sorry, actually, but but something like that where, but I think you just need to give someone that sort of time and that sort of, um, oh God, the word eludes me. If you like... Support? Wow, support and that 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 free reign to do what they want to do what they see is necessary yeah. to actually get the, the club driving forward as opposed to sort of undermining them after a few poor results you know actually allowing them to have a cut you know even if they you know drop down a, to Syria B allow them that time to actually build something are Atalanta and their treatment of Gasparini quite a good model for Fiorentina to follow yeah, no, absolutely. But that's that's it. That's the thing where you can see where someone's given time and backing and, and almost the club have bought into, even if that individual leaves, if Gasparini leaves, they've kind of built the infrastructure behind it to you know, put their faith in youth and a particular playing style and the fact that they're not maybe, you know, Atalanta, they're probably hitting their aim, which is probably Champions League football. They're not necessarily want to you know expect to be winning scudettos year in year out but they want a level of success this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive and june olive and june gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market with uh, the whole sort of Bielsen leads thing and also Gasparini and Atalanta they're probably two great examples Fiorentina can look at if they do hire Maurizio Sarri for the next season uh, one of the things with this uh, commissal reign so far is that 
the cho- the choices of coaches have been very underwhelming to say the least. Uh, none of these coaches have a really great uh, philosophy or identity that can really define a club or help really build a team and help it become greater than the sum of its parts. So I think if uh, going forward they, um, you know, they employ Sarri, he's given the freedom to sort of implement his ideas fully and so forth, I think it would work well. I do believe that squad would suit his 4-3-3. And they already have Jose Callejon, who's been one of his most important players. Well, he was one of his most important players at Napoli. He was one of the unsung heroes. So he's already got one player at least that can really understand his way of training and coaching. Dare I say, look at Udinese, you know, whatever that was, 10, 15 years ago, when they were consistently um, making European qualification because there was there was some form of um plan in in the background okay they up and moved that to probably Watford and then to, you know took their you know took themselves away from the plan that they had at Udinese but it is that sort of level of investment that you want the owners and the club to have with whatever your your playing style and plan for the future is going to be that will ultimately lead to success however you deem that success all right um i think that's enough on them we didn't really talk about atalanta but oh well we'll talk about them again another time the the papu gasp thing is still quite interesting just before we move on i will say that gasparini was asked what would happen with papu gomez will he leave atalanta in in january and gasp just said that it's the club's decision which is strange but i don't know i still have a feeling that they're just putting on a little bit of a show but we will see i suppose someone will be proven right someone will be proven wrong eventually that's the way these things happen i'm tempted to introduce this next result as a shock because that's what everybody seems to be doing but i actually take the exact opposite stance i predicted this result and i think it was a very predictable result Vito, alice verona went away to lazio and they won 2-1 i mean they're just a very good side well it's uh, good that we managed to, you know, go into this segue from uh, Atalanta Fiorentina to Lazio Hellas Verona because, as pointed out previously, uh, Ivan Juric, who is a, a former player of uh, Gasparini's at Genoa, uh, uh, he's, uh, you know, one of his disciples, uses uh, 3-4-3 or variants of it, but uh, he's shown that he's an uh, excellent coach in his own right. Uh, his teams probably focus more on the defensive aspects or they're a bit better at it than uh, what uh, Atalanta would be. But uh, I think overall, they they still can get the balance right. They know when to defend. Um, when they do attack, they're actually quite a dangerous side. And um, I think Juric uh, and the rest of his staff deserve praise for you know, creating a team that's uh, able to get results and... Uh, if I saw correctly, there's seventh on the table, which is quite amazing mm. so far. How's he done this? Because they've lost a lot of players since since last season, and a lot of important players. Kumbula and Amrabat spring to mind immediately. There's definitely another that I can't think of, but they're, they're arguably doing even better this year. Yeah, they are too. And again, I think it's just the defensive strength. Um, obviously, I haven't seen Juric's training sessions, but I can only assume that the way he drills them is uh, 
you know, very rigid. He must uh, be able to describe the details properly to the players. They buy into what he's doing. And uh, if I had to single out individuals, um, and I must admit I'm pretty surprised by this, is that uh, uh, Mar Marco Silvestri has been excellent in goal for them. I mean, he's even earned a call up to the Italian national team. And um, yeah, in the ratings in the Italian press, whether it be La Gazzetta dello Sport or Tutto Mercato Web, um, Silvestri gets plenty of plaudits. Didn't didn't they lose uh, Barini? But I doubt that's hit them too hard this uh, <laughs> this summer. Wouldn't have been the one on my mind, Kev. No, but thanks for that. Um, Kev, I'll move to you for next. Sassuolo, after two games without scoring um, and one point from the last two games, they scored just once and it was a penalty against Benevento at home. But they played most of the second half with 10 men. And this is the game that, I'm looking at the statistics. If I had told you beforehand that one of the teams would have 30 shots and the other would have six, you wouldn't have thought it would be Benevento taking the 30 shots, would you? But Benevento did only have four of those on target. So conversion rate, not very good. But Kev, this is a, a result that showed a different side of Sassuolo. We've praised them for their free-flowing attacking football. That's great to watch. This was about grit and fight. Yeah, I, I joined this um, after the sending off. Actually, for a long time, I hadn't even realised that the the little red icon in the top of the screen had you know was telling me that somebody had <laughs> was was down to ten men. Um, it, it was it was a controlled and disciplined performance, and maybe that it was because they were they were down to to ten men, and um, although they only had four shots on target, I think Consili. Um, deserves a bit of credit for some of the, the saves he made. Mm. I'm not sure if there was one particular particular effort where he tipped it onto the bar whether that counts as a shot not on target because it's it, it's hit the, the frame of the goal. But um yeah they they weathered the storm a little of you know of just kind of possession and deserve to get their goal. Even even if it was a little bit of a harsh the penalty I thought kind of just cross brushing someone's arm but that's the world we now live in. It is the world we now live in. Look, there were two other games. We're not going to talk about them. We will get to the other football. But, I mean, I was surprised that Crotona beat Spezia 4-1. Crotona's first win of the season, and we're kind of doing them a disservice by not speaking about them. But it's just the way things go sometimes. Hopefully, they'll get another result in the next 10 days because we're doing three more podcasts after this one between now and Christmas. And Torino lost 3-2 to Udinese. I'll be honest. I was planning on watching this from about the 30-minute mark, but I saw Udinese were 1-0 up, so I didn't bother because I thought that would be how it would finish. I'm a fool. But anyway, um, before we go, guys, <laughs> you thought I forgot, didn't you, Kev? We're going to play the game. Um, I've, if like Look, like always, listeners, if you're listening and you don't know this game, don't bother, just switch off. But basically, the guys get to ask questions. The answers are yes or no. If the answer is yes, they keep going. If the answer is no, they hand over to the other player. The object of the game is to identify a mystery Serie A player. Um, I choose a different player every week. I think sometimes I worry that I might have picked this player before, and I'm having that doubt at the moment. I feel like I might have picked that player before, which means I'll get a minus point. But we'll see how it goes. Vito won last week, am I correct? Yes. Yep. All right, Mr. Doria, you can take over. Okay, is this time, time? I think. Oh, wait, no, sorry, <laughs> I need to set the timer for two minutes. <laughs> someday, someday I'll start the game with no problems. Three, two, one, starting 
No. Is this player foreigner? The player is not foreigner, but I'll have to put a little asterisk beside that, but they're not a foreigner. Kev? What? Uh, you're throwing me off. Uh, do they play in Northern Italy? They do play in Northern Italy, yes. Um, are they a midfielder? They're not a midfielder. Okay, does this player play for uh, one of the Milanese clubs? He doesn't play for one of the Milanese clubs, no. Does they Do they play for one of the uh, Turin-based sides? They don't play for a side in Turin or Piemonte. Vito, it sounds like your dog knows the answer to this. You might want to go and ask him, but it's your turn. Okay. Nah, Charlie's just on guard. But anyway, um, <laughs> is this player an Udinese player? Uh, no, they don't play for Udinese. Okay. Uh, There's a region play, here, guys. Do, yeah, do they play in Liguria? They don't play in Liguria, oh, no. Does this player play in Emilia-Romagna? <laughs> they do play in Emilia-Romagna, yes. Process of elimination, we got there. Okay. Um, uh, does this player play for Parma? They do not play for Parma, and we're down to 35 seconds. So they play for Sassuolo, yes? They don't play for Sassuolo. Oh, God. Do they play for Bologna? Or does he play for Bologna? Yes. Okay. Um, is it Roberto Soriano? How on earth have you done uh, that? <laughs> the... uh, yeah. Oh, no, hang on. No, it's not Roberto Soriano. I've gotten mixed up. Kev, it's over to you. <laughs> uh... Oh, God. <laughs> They play for Bologna. They're <laughs> not Italian, I always, but they are Italian. I always get Soriano mixed up with this player, and I've done it right now. Oh, oh God. And he can't possibly... It's not... It's no, time Frank, up. No, I Franco Vasquez is. isn't even... He's in Seville. It's time up. It's Franco he Vasquez, who's Argentinian, and never played for Bologna. He played for Palermo and then went to Sevilla. Um, the player is Nicolas Sansone. Okay. See, I would have... I used I to always get... Kev didn't trip over his words. <laughs> yeah, I always, I always used to get Soriano and Vasquez mixed up, and I can't remember why now. Is it because they're both uh, Argentinian-born? But uh, no, no, Soriano was not Argentinian-born. Soriano he? and Who's... Sansone were both born in Germany. Yes, correct. Okay. That's why I had to put the asterisk beside yeah, Sansone. I, I mean, he's was... Italian, but he was born in Munich. As soon as you said that, I was I was sort of searching my brain for Italian internationals born elsewhere. Hmm. And I had mentioned Sansone where... early in the pod. <laughs> but Maybe Frank... that's why you put it in my head. <laughs> we wanted a short pod, so let's not go into did Franco Vasquez play for Argentina then say he didn't want to then play for Italy and then played for Argentina again. Yeah, that's what it happened, Kev. Yeah. That's he had him. two games with okay. Italy and... Then he decided he wanted to be Argentinian all along. Okay. Who does he play for now? Still at Sevilla, as far as I know. Yeah, I mean, for international duty. Uh, Argentina. I think... Does yeah, he? but yeah. now, oddly, they've just changed the rules. I was reading an article this now that you can play three games for your international com- country and change your international affiliation. Right, well, he might yet come back because he's played twice for Italy and three times yeah. for Argentina. And his Wikipedia photo actually has him in the Italy kit, which is quite funny because the introductory line is, is an Argentine footballer. Um, all right, guys, look, we're going to go because we're going to be back with you on 
Wednesday evening is the next recording. Is that no Thursday evening? Thursday so evening. I'll let you guys know the the recording schedule from here on out until Christmas is we're recording this evening, which is Sunday. We're recording Thursday evening, so expect it Friday morning, then Sunday evening, and then Wednesday evening. So the latest pod will be with you on the morning of Christmas Eve. What a gift! Anyway, um, Vito Doria, say goodbye. Goodbye. Kev Pugzelski, do what you want. Ciao, ciao, everybody. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. We'll speak to you very, very soon. Tifosi e controve bandiere, accompagniamo la squadra del cuore, con il grido, o parma se forte, batteremo le squadre avversarie, ma nessuno li potrà fermare, sono forti e sanno lottare, fanno gol, sempre gol, del campionato son la gloria. Porta Parma, Porta Parma, questo è il grido di A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.